Pray with me, will you please? Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today and we recognize that there are so many people in this congregation who are wounded right now, whose hearts are, are broken, who have lost someone that they love more than life itself. As a church, Lord, our, our prayer is that you would comfort them, that we would comfort them, that we would remind each other that the reason we gather here is that you, who never breaks a promise, have promised us that, that one day we will all gather together with you in that great and, and glorious city. And Lord, we look forward to that. And so let us hold on to your promise and let us live our lives looking forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to say good morning to uh, all of you who are in Dwell watching right now. Also, all of you are in the gathering space and then to all of you who are watching online, good morning. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series today entitled More Than Enough. And, um, you know, when you look at Scripture again and again, we, we see little passages where God reminds us that he gives us more than enough. Just, just a couple as an example. Um, uh, the disciples are gathered listening to Jesus speak. There's a multitude of people around him. They're right there uh, on the Sea of Galilee, uh, on the edge of a mountain. And the disciples realize it's getting dark. Um, it's almost midnight, we, we, or it's almost mid-afternoon. We, we better let these people go um, because we don't have enough food to feed them. Just a, a couple loaves, a few fishes. But Jesus says, don't worry, it's, it's more than enough. Another time in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Elijah asks a widow for a little oil and some bread. And she says, you know, I, I, I hardly have enough to make it through the day today. But she shares it anyway, and he says, there will be more than enough. And every day, every day she goes to the cupboard and, and every day there's more than enough. Our question of the day today really is, what kind of a legacy are we leaving behind? And, and since legacy always is kind of tied up and tied together with, with some of the dreams that we have. Um, I want you to think about the dreams that you have as well this morning. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to uh, be on the board at Camp Geneva three different times. Um, and during one of my terms, we were, we were dreaming about buying the property across the street. Uh, we wanted to double the camp's capacity. Uh, the problem was it was expensive and we didn't have the money. 
We met together as a board. We, we, we prayed about it. And, and finally, we decided we were going to call all of the camp supporters together in, in one place, have this meeting, share this dream with them, and, and see what happened. And, and so we did. And um, being the only preacher on the board at the time, I was the one who was elected to give the challenge. And, and so I stood up and I told him the story about how when I was a young boy, I had this dream. I dreamt that I went to heaven. Did you ever have that dream? Jesus was there. He was in, in blue jeans and a white t-shirt, and, and, and he showed me all around. I, I know some of you are upset with me right now. You, you want Jesus to be wearing a choir robe, you know. I mean, after all, that's what he's supposed to wear, but no, nope, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Blue jeans and a white t-shirt, I remember it clear as a bell. And, and the two of us were, were just sort of gliding along, not walking, uh, kind of gliding, like, like we were in a sailboat, you know, uh, effortlessly. But there was no boat. And, and below us, there was this, this beautiful blue lake with, with houses that all looked like Van Andel's house across the channel from the state park. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and out front on the beach, there were these small groups of people sitting around these campfires, and, and they were roasting marshmallows, roasting marshmallows. Man, it looked like a good time. I really wanted to go join them, but then all of a sudden, I woke up. Now, I told those people at Geneva about this dream, and then I asked them to raise their hands if, if, if they'd given their life to Christ around a campfire somewhere. And you know what? Oh, over, over half of the hands went up. And then I said that in my mind, Camp Geneva was holy ground. That it was the kind of place where, where kids give their lives to Jesus. And as a board, we, we had this dream. We had this dream that somehow we wanted to give twice as many kids the chance to do that and and we thought maybe God was telling us to buy that property across the street but we didn't have the money and you know what we raised all the money to buy that property that night some of you were there I, I know you were some of you remember it huh? Now, a lot of the people who donated money that night uh, are in heaven today. But their legacy lives on in the stories that are told around the campfires at Geneva Pines. Go out there sometime. Look at that place. Watch those kids in the summer. You'll know what a legacy is all about. So think about this. I mean, what kind of a legacy are, are we going to leave behind when we're gone? Like Steve said, it's, it's All Saints Day. And so in honor of those who've gone on to glory before us, take a minute and, and ask yourself, whose life story has impacted your life story? And then, and then turn it around. Turn it around. Whose, whose life story will be impacted by your story? You see, our legacies are made up of the stories we leave behind. 
That's the truth. It's just stories. Faith stories, family stories, financial stories. And those stories will get retold again and again and again after we're gone. In his book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, Andy Stanley asks two really important, really critical questions. He says, first, what stories do you want to tell the next generation? And then second, what stories do you want them to tell about you after you're gone? Last week, uh, Carol and I went to hear our daughter Kate preach at the boulevard. Uh, and she told what, what, what we've kind of come to call some of the Stoughton family stories. <laughs> They're stories about friends and, and families whose generosity helped make a way for somebody else. Now, you've heard me tell some of those stories, and I think stories are important, but in the midst of living those stories, you know what? I never even thought about the fact that, that maybe someday my kids would be telling those stories. Like I said, our legacies are made up of the stories we leave behind. And so again, let me ask you, what, what kind of a legacy do you want to leave? This morning, we're going to look at, at, at part of the Apostle Paul's legacy. It's, it's from the third chapter of his letter to the Philippians, and we're going to pick up the reading at verse 7 while you're looking that up. Let me set the scene for you. Huh? Right before today's reading, Paul is, is sort of listing his credentials. He says, I was born an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, which is to say of the tribe of kings. I am a Hebrew of Hebrew, he says, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And as to the righteousness of the law, I've been faultless. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, Paul's bragging a little bit here. We, we can all see that, right? Faultless, he says. Faultless. Every time I read that, I think to myself, oh my goodness, how, how I pale in comparison to the Apostle Paul. But he doesn't really tell this story to brag. He, he tells it to set us up for what follows. Take a look at it with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But, he says, but. Now, now i got to stop here. Isn't that a great word? But. I mean, you don't think about it that often, but that's really a great word. It's, it's one of those hinge words that we find in Scripture. Everything sort of turns on that. This is what was, Paul says, but, but. The hinge swings. This is what is. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. And when we read those words, I, I think God, God wants us to ask ourselves, how do we balance the, the gains and the losses in our lives? 
I'm, I'm sure right now some of you are, are just overwhelmed with loss. That's all you can think about is, is the loss side of the teeter-totter. It's just weighing you down. And then there are other people on the other side. Right now their life is so blessed. They want to pinch themselves. They wonder, am I going to wake up from this? Is, is this all a dream? Life is about balance, right? And the question is, what changed? What changed in the way we, we look at life because of our encounter with Jesus? Can we say what the Apostle Paul said? Can, can we point to the hinge, to, to the turning point in our thinking about life? Because Paul can. Paul can. Like a lot of us, as a young man, Paul dreamed of gaining things like wisdom and, and wealth and love and respect and acceptance and accomplishment and validation and meaning. And when we first meet him, he's well on his way to getting all of that stuff. But his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus changed everything. It was a, a radical reversal of his values. Whatever were gains for me, he says, I now consider a loss. All of this for the sake of Christ. And, and, and you get it, right? I mean, it's a total turnaround in his thinking. Paul went from dreaming about accumulating things to, to dreaming about a city called glory. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He thought about it again and again and again. And I don't know if Jesus had on blue jeans in his dream. I just know he had on blue jeans in mine. So let me ask you, what are you dreaming about? Honestly, most of us aren't dreaming about what Paul's dreaming about, are we? Huh? We're not quite there yet. And, and, and so we spend our lives pursuing all the things that Paul did, hoping to fill this emptiness deep inside our souls. But what Paul learned, and, and I think what we all need to learn, is that the only way to fill that emptiness is with Jesus. He's more than enough, and, and, and without him, there will never be enough. Are you with me on that? Can I get an amen? There's one. Okay, good. <laughs> the sad thing is that if we don't learn that lesson, we end up re-gifting our emptiness to the next generation. And you know what? It happens all the time, doesn't it? In our effort to give our kids and our grandkids more than we ever had, we've created a generation with more doubt, more of a sense of entitlement, and more emptiness than ever before. And so to make sure we get this right, Paul doubles down. He goes at it one more time. Take a look at it with me. And in verse 8, he says this, What is more... I consider everything, everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything, everything else 
is a loss. According to Paul, everything except knowing Jesus is going to leave us wanting more. Have you thought about that? I mean, you get a little money, what do you want? More money, right? Get a little power, what do you want? More power. Get an old used car, you want a new car. Get a small house, you want a big house. Get a boat, you want another boat. Spend time with the people you love. What do you want? More time, right? Everything except knowing Jesus leaves us wanting more. That's why Paul spent his life sharing the love of Jesus with anyone who would listen. He got all this. I mean, he, he really got it. And because he did, he changed the world. The fact is, you and I would not know Christ if he did not know Christ. And so let me ask you, has, has, has anyone come to know Christ because you know Christ? Years ago, Carol and I were at, at Woodhaven Reformed Church between Granville and, and Byron Center. We were there for 12 years, great years. Um, they were building a new sanctuary, and a man named Norm came to me, and, and he and his wife had been planning to build their dream house when he retired. He was just about to retire. They were planning to build that house, and then they were going to put all new furniture in it. And they already had the lot, the, the, the plans were drawn up, uh, and they were, they were starting to build it. They broke ground a few weeks before. And so when Norm came to see me, the skeptic in me thought, oh, well, Norm, Norm's going to try to explain to me why he can't help with the building fund of the new sanctuary. That's where this story is going. But I was so wrong. Instead, he said that he and Verna had been, been praying about this. And they decided to give the money that they were going to spend on that new furniture to the building. Well, I, I kind of felt bad. So I said, Norm, really, I mean, we'll raise the money. You, you don't have to do that. And he said to me, Dan, you don't really understand. We don't have to do that. We want to do that. You see, we want to help build the church where our grandkids are going to come to know Christ. And, you know, it's a pretty good story. Yeah, but let me finish it. Years later, Carol and I became the godparents to Norm's grandkids. And today, his grandson is a preacher in Hudsonville. You see, this legacy thing, this legacy thing isn't, isn't about leaving something for people. It's about leaving something in people. And what lives on in them after we're gone are the stories. And so we all need to ask ourselves, 
What kind of a story are we leaving behind? While you're thinking about that, let's turn one, one more time to Scripture. This time, the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, easy to find. Exodus 35, verse 5. The Israelites are, are about to begin construction on the tabernacle. Do you know what the tabernacle was? I mean, it was this huge, huge gathering space where they worshipped. It was a tent, but it was magnificent. I mean, gold, jewels, all kinds of things were, were put into this worship space, this, this tabernacle space. And now they're about to begin construction of all of that. And, and so before they do, Moses gathers all the people together, and this is what he says, Exodus 35, verse 5. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. And now can I tell you something? These people didn't have much. All they had was whatever they could carry on their backs when they left Egypt. And they were in such a hurry to leave that, that, that the only thing they took were the essentials, the, the really, really good stuff, their best jewelry, their best linens and leather goods, their best spices and incense and oil, and everything else they left behind. Like I said, all they had was what they could carry on their backs and this dream of a better life. The, the, the dream of the promised land, the, the dream that was promised to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, now just sort of file that thought for a minute with me and, and, and let's wander down a little bit farther. From what you have, Moses says, take an offering for the Lord. And I think before we go any farther, uh, we need to put ourselves in the text. We need to hear these words as though God is speaking directly to us. We need to try to feel what Moses' first listeners must have felt. Now, I really think it's easy enough to do when you think about it. They're building a tabernacle. We're about to remodel a sanctuary. And both are going to require everyone to give what they can. From what you have, Moses says, take an offering for the Lord. And, and so I think we all need to stop a minute and think seriously about what we have. And, and I know right about now, right about now, some of us are tempted to think about what somebody else might have, right? I mean, it's only natural. We want to think about that person. They've got more than I've got. God doesn't say think about what they've got. He says, from what you have. But I don't blame you. It's only natural to compare. I remember years ago, Carol and I, when I was in the car business, I was kind of feeling myself, as I've said to you before. Those were those big cigars and motor car days in my life. Great days. We were building a house out in Ada on the Thornapple River. Uh, we bought a few acres in the woods, and we were putting up my dream house. <laughs> Probably wasn't Carol's dream house at the time, but it was mine. There's no doubt about it. I designed it. Everything about it was going to be just perfect. And one beautiful fall day, I went out to watch as they started to put up the walls. 
I was standing there on the hill. It, it kind of overlooks the river down there, and the house was here, and I was looking at the house and the woods and the river, and can I tell you, I was kind of feeling myself, thinking, you have arrived, boy. And then this kid comes, comes riding through the woods, my woods. He's riding through my woods on a motorcycle, making lots of noise, and he pulls up, and he parks next to my Mercedes. And so I walk over to him, and I say, how you doing? And he says, okay, I live just down the road a little ways. Uh, said, that your car? I said, yeah, that's my car. He said, nice. I said, yeah, it's nice. He said, that's your house? I said, yep, that's my house. He said, nice. I said, yeah, it's nice. And then he said, where's your pool going to be? <laughs> well, I said, uh, we're not going to have a pool. And he says, not even an outdoor one? A lot of doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs live out on that river. Uh, and when I went home that night, I told Carol the story. And right before I could say, don't you think we ought to put in a pool, honey? She said to me, how are we ever going to raise kids there with any sense of values? God kind of took care of that for us, didn't he, Carol? But what we learned along the way is this. It, it's, it's not really about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. From what you have, God says, take an offering for the Lord. Besides his 14 children, great-grandpa Van about never had much. He came to this country from the Netherlands with less than $5 in his pocket. And he didn't have much more than that when he died. He was a poor man, but proud. You can see it on him. He worked as the janitor at the Dutch Reformed Church in Grand Rapids his whole life. But he had this dream. He had this dream of a better life for his children. And when he was asked why he came to this country, what he said was, well, when I was in the old country, huh? I was a wooden shoemaker. My father was a wooden shoemaker. His father was a wooden shoemaker. And if I didn't come to this country, you too would be a wooden shoemaker. You see how this works, right? The decisions we make in life make up the chapters in the story of our lives, and our stories have generational implications. And so again, let me ask you, what, what stories are you telling with your life, huh? And what stories do you want other people to tell about you?
after you're gone. From what you have, Moses says, take an offering for the Lord. And then, and then he adds this qualifier, you know, really kind of a neat phrase. Everyone who is willing, he says. Everyone who is willing. And believe me, Lord knows not everyone is willing. But, but he keeps giving us the chance to partner with him to get this right. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering, and then he lists what they're supposed to bring. Look at this. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linens. Goat hair, ram skins, and leather. Acadia wood, olive oil for the lights. Spices for the anointing oils and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and other precious gems. And now remember... Remember what we said earlier? The Israelites, when they were leaving, they only took the best stuff. You know what? That's what they gave to. The best stuff. And in the next chapter, there are two guys who are, are, are in charge of collecting the materials for the tabernacle. And they come to Moses and they say to him, yeah, tell everyone they can stop giving. The people have brought more than enough to do the work, they say. More than enough. And now you know what? I know this church. I've been here a couple of years. I've seen your generosity. And so I know the day is coming when we will say, thank you, but, but you can stop giving. You've already given us more than enough. At least that's one of those things that I've been dreaming about lately. So tell me, what, what, are, what are you dreaming about?